Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? So state convention season is in full swing, Amy. It very much is, and you are kind of traveling the whole country, aren't you? I am, I am. I am in uh, Des Moines right now, and I was in Princeton, West Virginia yesterday, and I'll be in Greensboro, North Carolina in two days. That's that's kind of crazy. It's got a real a lot zigzag. Of it's yeah. got a real zigzag to it. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't they didn't ask me about the, the planning whenever they set the dates for these. It would have been easier to go all in a line, you know. Yeah. Pretty maids all in a row or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, but it's been fun. I had a great time in West Virginia and here's a cool thing, Amy. I was in uh Indiana a couple weeks ago. Uh we'll talk about it a little bit later on the show, but they were up about a third in their attendance. And West Virginia, I mean, they, they were, we were packed out yesterday. It was, they were up 70 or 80, 100 people from last year's registration. I'm looking forward to Iowa. That meeting is tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday. That meeting's tomorrow on Saturday. And then I know North Carolina is going to have a strong showing as well. So uh, I've seen a lot more participation in the state conventions, which is a good thing. That is a good thing. Engagement at every level. Yep. I mean, that's the reason we started this pod, right? Back in the day. It was to engage people the other 363 days of the year. And uh, they're, they're doing it. I, I'm not saying it's because of us. I'm not saying it's not. But, but it's, it's what happening. we were, it's what we wanted to see. So yeah, we're getting to see That was the desired it. outcome. Yeah. That's and it's right. awesome. Yeah. So, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So really cool. Uh, state conventions. If you're out and about, I had a, had a listener, a couple of listeners reach out to me at the West Virginia convention, came up to me and said, hey, we listened to the podcast. So. Good friends That's of the fun. pod in West Virginia. Kevin Smith saw him out there and Paul Chitwood. Talked to Paul Chitwood. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago on the podcast. I'm going to try to get him on for Lottie Moon and talk about that in the next couple of weeks. So he agreed to that. So we're going to work on some dates, try to find a date that works for all of us and get him on the podcast and do a quick interview with him and talk Lottie Moon and, and the big goal they have this year, right under $200 million. So and, and obviously we'll talk about the $200 million plus that was given last year too. So pretty exciting stuff. All right. Very cool. So, Amy, let's jump into it. One of the things also that we have kind of desired to see along the way over the last few years is churches handling sex abuse well. And we kind of saw that this past week from Broadmoor Baptist down in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. So this was a a decades-old case of sexual abuse that came up. Their uh, lead pastor, Josh Brady, announced that. So the case was a former member of the youth group who uh, suffered abuse during the 1980s. So the allegations include abuse and inaction by staff at that time. So current church leadership has uh, given an announcement they have committed to investigate the charges, update current policies and procedures, um, assist in legal defense if that's needed over there. I think there was a non-disclosure agreement with the alleged perpetrator. So assist with legal defense if that If that's needed, um, they're going to have an independent third-party firm to conduct a thorough investigation and assessment. So um, there's a a pretty lengthy story at Baptist Press that goes through the whole thing. But that statement, a lot of layers to it, very thorough. And I read it, and I think I sent sent to you the message. I said, man, that's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, I heard a lot of people saying that, a couple people they read that. We had a story in Baptist Press. Obviously, we linked to it. You go over there and check it out. But I mean, really, this this is the way to do it. This is the best possible way to handle a situation that no church wants to find themselves in. 
That's right. And I think this is something that at the local church level, we often see people ask, what am I supposed to do if this happened decades before? And uh, this is a kind of a picture yeah, of Bookmark of that. this. That's right. So yeah, it's a good case study. So we'll uh, keep an eye on this and see what else happens and if anything else comes out of this, because uh, obviously I think this is just starting. They just announced it last week. They're still doing some some work on it. So uh, we will see what comes of this story, but, uh, you know, kind of a hat tip to Broadmoor Baptist down there in Jackson area. That's right. And with the good, Amy, we, we also have another story of a middle school principal and volunteer for the youth group up in Oklahoma uh, who was arrested this past week on child sex related charges. Yeah. So this is Cody Barlow um, is accused of uh, abusing a male student in his office at uh, the middle school there where he teaches. I believe it's Wawoka. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But, sure. Um, yeah. So local news outlets were also referring to him as a youth pastor. His role with youth is um, is a volunteer position, but the pastor there, Nathan Brumley, told Baptist Press that they are aware law enforcement is working with the school district, that he's been removed from all responsibilities, that they're taking the allegations very seriously. And uh, so this is a just another tough one, um, but the fact that law enforcement was immediately involved, that's another good sign. Yeah. That's, a, that's the right thing to do, so... And again, this was the the school, I think, that initiated that. That's where his place of employment and where the abuse happened. But the church, you know, stepping forward and being, you know, willing to say, we're going to cooperate with this as well. Yeah. So again, we'll track this story as we do with all of these. And uh, if we see anything else, we'll bring that to you. Some Lifeway research this week, Amy, some discussions I've been seeing and been, you know, hearing around the convention, people talking about the affinity that people are placing over politics and instead of mission. And, you know, why do we cooperate? Is it because we cooperate because we share politics or because we share a mission? And we got some fascinating life or research that kind of backs it up that we've, mm-hmm. we've kind of moved toward politics. Yeah. Um, it, essentially, it really in talking about sort of what people's preferences are. So this was a survey of U.S. Protestant churchgoers. Okay. So we got to, you know, that's the category. Not just Southern Baptist. So it's Protestant. Right. So Methodist that's right. Right. and the like. And, AOG. Right. And, yeah, and church goers. So it's saying, I guess, people who attend, like membership is not necessarily the threshold in this. Um, but these are people who attend church. They, 50% of them said that they would prefer to attend a church where people share their political views. And 55% believe that that is the case at their congregation already. Um, Scott McConnell talked about. Um, in his quote, that studies have shown that voting patterns and political affiliation correlate with the type of church and the amount of church involvement someone has. So, and, and that I think that makes sense because a lot of the social issues that really play into voting, some of them, they, they have connections to our faith and, and yeah. what we believe. So the correlation makes a lot of sense. Um, he said, when asked if churchgoers want political similarity to flow back into their church relationships, uh, this is desirable for half of churchgoers. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, and it's increasing. That That's the other thing. It's it's becoming more polarized, I think, because if you look at the second graph here in the story, uh, my political views match those of most people at my church. That has grown by 4% and so ha- in the last five years. And so has, I prefer to attend a church where people share my political views. 
So no, the preference and the the outlook of their congregations that people have has kind of shifted in the, they're more like me. Okay. And, let me ask you a question about this. Though. Okay. Go for it. And it could be a little bit of both, but do you think on the one hand, it could be like as the sort of political, you know, involvement polarization continues to be on the increase that we want to be sort of in our own, you know, pe- people who think like us. So there's, there's that, which, yeah. you know, it's a real thought or, is the fact that, you know, years ago, there were on, on some of these issues that are connected with people's faith when they are voting their conscience or when they are th- things that seem to be very high priorities for people. It used to be that political parties were a little more mixed, like you would see a wide spectrum in some of the major parties. Mm-hmm. And now on some of those issues that are very uh, high priorities for people, and, and there are several, there are you know, five or six different ones that I can think of that yeah. different individuals will say, I'm a single issue voter on this issue. My issue, by the way, is daylight savings time and getting rid of that. Well, which I think a, is happening. You're a very substantive voter, Jonathan. Um, Big problem. So, I think that's actually more of a bipartisan thing. So, yeah. you know, um, but what I'm saying is as you, so we'll use pro-life where a lot of people say that that is their sort of singular yep. issue or highest priority. Um, that's definitely that a lot over the last, yeah, it's definitely a huge so. priority for me. Well, there was, you know, 30 years ago, you, there were pro-life candidates and there's pro-life movement in both major parties. That's not really the case no. anymore. No, it's, so, so what has happened, the parties have become more polarized and more separate. Right. Right. And so have the people as a result. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm it's like. It's an outflow of what's happened on the party side. Right. Some of it, I think, maybe a desire to be with people like us, uh, you know, that, that have the thoughts that we do. I think some of it also may be just the way that certain issues have gone completely in one direction or the other with individual parties. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's absolutely it's an interesting, case. interesting thing to think about. Yeah. And people who don't share on those big high profile issues, take pro-life and you're likely not going to see a pro-life Democrat get elected to a national position. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know there are still some cause I follow some of them and, and see, uh, but they're having a tougher and tougher time Oh yeah. within the party. Well, their own party now. is coming after them. So, right. Right. It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating. It's 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 fascinating and something definitely to watch. And again, like I said, that's I mean that's one issue that's an easy one to use as an example because a lot of people. Um, but even even some of the other issues too seem to be very you know kind of go in one direction or the other. Yeah. So big day on Tuesday though, because yes, election day. That's right. I'll be in Greensboro. So you think they'll let me vote in North Carolina? No, they will not. How about I try it and see what happens? You should not try. You should not try. (laughs) So did you early vote in Tennessee? Yes. Okay. I'm going to drive home from Greensboro because I like to vote on election day. Well, I I like to stand in in the line. I'm in North Carolina on election day. I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying that I can. I like to stand in line. I like to, it's like a whole. I'll try to vote in North Carolina on election day. How about that? No, you cannot. Folks, he's not going to do that. That's not legal. And he's not going to try. I just see if they'll let me. Yeah, he's not going to try. Okay. So. All right. Amy won't let me try, y'all. Okay. So that's a good, interesting story. Go check that out. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. Back to the Southern Baptist news, Amy. 
Uh, yes. Some news out of Florida. This is really cool. So we mentioned that uh, there have been a lot of DR work going on in Florida as a response to Hurricane Ian. There's also a ton of going on as a response to Hurricane Fiona down in Puerto Rico. But mm-hmm. the state of Florida has given a $400,000 grant to Southern Baptist Disaster Relief for the work that they've done in the state of Florida. That is really exciting and great. This is, you know, because obviously Hurricane Ian, you know, these are the things that for the rest of the country, often they come and they go and we sort of remember them, but we move on to the next thing. And I mean, there are folks in in Florida, I like, we've got some friends that um, uh, on staff, he's a, a pastor in Sanibel. And I mean, they're displaced for the, like a year. I mean, their church is meeting somewhere else, not even on Sanibel Island. They're using um, another, another church's building, maybe in the Fort Myers area or something. This is hitting people for at least a year, you know, so these disaster relief efforts continue on for months and months and months. And so this gift $400,000 from the Florida disaster fund is really, really great. So um, Southern Baptist disaster relief is one of several nonprofit organizations to receive that. Yeah, five of them, and we were one of them. So really cool, and uh, congratulations to them. And and also thank you to all of our faithful Southern Baptists who work with disaster relief. More than 730,000 meals have been served in South Florida and in the wake of Hurricane Ian. Very cool. That's a lot of chicken. It it is a lot of chicken. It's a lot of chicken. I don't know if they're serving chicken or not, but we're Baptists, so I'm just assuming that it's chicken. You just think, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we got another thing this week. Bart Barber, SBC president, and Jared Wellman, who's the chairman of the executive committee, issued a joint statement this week uh, discussing a motion that will be coming to the EC in February. It's discussing uh, women serving as pastors. The motion was made last June by Mike Law, a pastor up in the Arlington, Virginia area. He's a pastor at Arlington Baptist in Arlington. Um, and he's been uh, kind of circulating a letter of support for this. So that's been going on. You've probably seen it if you pay attention. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know about this already. But uh, just make sure that you uh, see what Jared and Bart released this week. They're basically saying that there's a process for this. We're going to give clarity to it. And they're affirming the Baptist faith and message and what it says about the office of pastor and calling for unity in this. So I'm sure this is not the last thing we will hear about this topic, nor the proposed amendment to the Constitution. Again, just a reminder, Amy, Constitution amendments, two years to pass, right? And are a two-thirds vote. Two-thirds right? vote for two consecutive, consecutive years. Or two consecutive meetings, because... That's right, because now we know that we know Meetings that's not always might guaranteed. Not, <laughs> might not happen. That's Good right. Night. So yes, yes. All right. That's that's constitutional amendment. Okay, Amy. You know what time it is. We talked about it at the top of the show, and we're back to it. It is state convention time. To California we go. Here we go. All right. So California Baptists met in West Sacramento under the banner of Better Together. This was the. Um, we approve of that banner, by the way. Absolutely. This was the 81st meeting of the California Southern Baptist Convention. Um, President Victor Chiasarizabon uh, presided over that. It just rolls off now. I feel like like we don't even have to try. It's very exciting. Um, he, uh, uh, yeah, so the California Southern Baptist vote approved a 
proposed budget of $6.3 million. That includes a cooperative program objective of $6 million. Um, and it does increase gifts that go on to national and international Southern Baptist Convention ministries to 36%. So that's up one percentage point. Um, that increase could provide an additional 60,000 to national CP. So amazing. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. They also heard a report from their state's uh, sexual abuse task force. And um, we're seeing that a lot from uh, several of these state conventions because those were named last year. They also announced a new partnership with NAM uh, as California is one of the newest conventions to join the SEND network. So it is a SEND state. Yeah. So very cool. Uh, they also reelected Victor Chiasa Rizabon and um, as well as Sam Gray, vice president. So there you go. So you get like the hard name as the president and you get the easy one as the vice. Sam right? Gray. Yeah. yeah. So Sam Gray is from Prosperity Avenue Baptist Church in Tulare. They also elected their music director, um, Denise Nichols, um, and then Beth Ketchside and Deanna Villegas were elected recording and assistant recording secretaries. Okay, Amy, up to Utah, Idaho, where I, unfortunately I didn't get to go this year. I've been the last couple of years, really like going out there and seeing our good friends in Utah, Idaho. But uh, Willie McLaurin was preaching up there this year. There's a picture of him uh, being prayed over after his uh, sermon up there in Utah, Idaho. But they met and had 133 messengers present from 49 of their 191 churches. Had about 50 guests, so about 200 people total. They approved a budget of just over $884,000, which includes just under 800000 in cooperative program funding, and will be sending on 30% to national and international causes. That is up from 21%. They have been increasing each and every year and gotten it up to 30%. Now they all, they also elected officers. President will be Jared Jenkins. He's the executive pastor over at Risen Life Church in Salt Lake City and good friend of the pod. Also, First Vice President Roger Naylor, who's up in Idaho at First Baptist Church of Bonners Ferry. Second Vice President Dave Carver, who's a church planner at Water's Edge Fellowship in Burley, Idaho. And Recording Secretary Timothy O'Day, who is the pastor at Christ Fellowship in Lehigh, Utah. So that is the Utah-Idaho meeting. Amy, over to Indiana we go, where I was actually in attendance at this one. This year, I mentioned it earlier, they had 161 messengers from 91 of their churches. Last year, it was 124 messengers from 65 of the churches. So an uh, increase of about a third up there for Executive Director Ryan Strether and his team there in Indiana. They passed an annual budget of $3.165 million and change. Uh, which is just slightly down from last year's budget, but includes $2.3 million of giving and cooperative program giving from churches. 36% will move on to international SBC missions and ministry. Greg Byman was elected the president of the convention. Vice President Jonathan LaFleur was reelected. Second Vice President Steve Davidson from First Baptist in Sellersburg and Recording Secretary Steve Taylor, who's the pastor at Northeast Park Baptist Church in Evansville. That'll do it for Indiana. Amy, down to Mississippi. All right. So in Mississippi, they met in Jackson, total of 759 registered messengers. That was a big one. Um, they passed a cooperative program budget of $30,676,380. It also, that represents a 1.47% increase over the 2022 CP budgets 
budget, and it forwards 39% of total giving to Southern Baptist causes. Um, their uh, sexual abuse response team that had been appointed earlier this year um, by Lloyd Sweat, the president of the convention, they issued a preliminary report on um, their work and announced that the executive committee of the state convention's board has allotted $250,000 to be used immediately by churches uh, for training. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's a a big deal. And then Brad Eubank is the task force chairman. He's from First Church of Petal. He's also on the uh, SBC's Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. Uh, He told the messengers that a final report on their work will come next year. They also reelected Lloyd Sweat as president for his second term, and then they elected Bill Hurt from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Columbus to a first term as first vice president. Scott Hanbury, hey, friend of the pod, from Hardy Street Baptist Church in Hattiesburg as second vice president, and then Michael Weeks from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church is. Um, Recording secretary. This is a different Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. It's in Olive Branch as opposed to Bill Hart's church in Columbus. Um, he's uh, so Michael Weeks is recording secretary. He has been doing that for 25 years. Wow. And then Will McNeese uh, from Polkville Baptist Church will serve as assistant recording secretary. All right. So there we go. State conventions everywhere. They also launched a new branding. I don't know if you saw yes. that. Yes. Yeah. New logo. Yeah. New That's logo right. for the Mississippi Baptist. So that you can see that in the picture in the story over at Baptist Press. Link to that is in the show notes. Uh, I know Tanner Cade and his team over at the Mississippi Baptist Convention. Uh, they've been doing a lot of work on that. Tanner's the uh, comms guy over at the Mississippi Baptist Convention. So uh, good job on the logo and everything. And that'll do it for our state recaps. We'll obviously have more of those next week. Amy, one final note. This Sunday on your Southern Baptist calendar is the Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So there's a story over there about that and why it's important. Also a a, a good article from the ERLC over at Baptist Press that you can check out about that. So be in prayer for our friends and fellow Christians across the world, uh, as uh, many of them are you know suffering persecution for their faith. And uh, this Sunday is a day set aside to pray for them. All right. Amy, that's going to do it for the news this week and bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, we're going to go to 1970 for uh, some action that was happening at uh, what was then Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary at their campus there in Mill Valley. And uh, so they had uh, some situations um, with the fire department, they were called, um, but it was they had false alarms. So, which is not good. Like you're not supposed to do that. Not supposed to call the fire department over because that ties up resources. So what happens, uh, what happened was. Especially in San Francisco. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So 9 p.m. at night, Truett Hall, the men's dorm fire alarm went off and three trucks and the fire chief all responded very quick. Wow. But there was nothing, no fire. So this is pretty intense. Like that's, you're not supposed to do that. So they check the alarm box. I'm sure they weren't doing it on purpose. They check the alarm box and the there was no broken glass. So See? I guess it was kind of something you had to break the glass to get to it. In case of emergency, break glass. Fire chief opened the firebox and caught the vandals. Two ants, two household ants were hanging across two electrical contact points. How big are these ants? I don't know. And uh, 
the best part about this is the headline. It says, <laughs> um, seminary false alarms bug firemen. Culprits get brush off. Mm. All right. So they bugged the firemen. Get it? And then oh. the fire and then the fire chief. Oh. All they it says at the end, the ants were lucky. All they got from the fire chief was a brush off because he, you know, brushed them off the contact mm. points. And then the last line of the story is besides, who ever heard of arresting an ant? So as I like to find in some of these old ones, it was a slow news week yeah. in nineteen seventy at Baptist Press. Um, but it was a busy week for the fire department there in Mill Valley who were on the ball. They were ready to take care of it, um, demonstrated, but a false alarm with some uh, pesky vandals there yeah. this week in SBC history. Oh, so you're talking about ants. Got me thinking, did you ever read the short story by Carl Stevenson, Leningen versus the ants? No. All right. That's your homework this week, game. Okay. Go read okay. Leningen versus the ants. I'll send you All a right. link to it. It's available online. And uh, I, I'll await your, your response to that. Okay. I'll look for it. Okay. All right. Resources of the week. Game, your resource of the week is? Two new albums that are out. They actually came out um, last Friday, but I've gotten to kind of check them out It's more. been two Fridays, Amy, since that album came out. No. Last Friday, October oh. 28th. But that's that's not the right album then. Because there's only one album that really matters. Not talking about Taylor Swift. Okay. All right. So one of them is a new EP. Actually, they're both EPs. Um, an EP called "The Invitation" by the Ambassador, uh, one of Deuce. the most influential Christian hip hop artists of all time. Um, so there's a great story uh, at Baptist Press. So the Ambassador is also William Deuce Branch, who is a uh, faculty member at Southeastern. So and um, husband of Missy. Yes. Yes. Um, Most importantly. Yes. Well, he, Timothy Cox did a great story on, on him, did just a, a really good interview um, because he's got this album coming out, but he also uh, just got a pretty big honor, the Kingdom Choice Awards, which is dedicated to Christian hip hop and urban gospel music, wow. gave him the Kingdom Legend Award. So uh, it recognizes artists who have left a lasting legacy on the genre. The legendary ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. So really cool. So I've got that. Um, I, I actually have the story, the Baptist press story in the show notes, but then uh, we'll also put a link to the album as well. So very cool. And then another album, another EP came out last week um, that is close to my heart. Summit Worship put out um, an EP of six great uh, worship songs, original that we've been singing worship for a while. And we had a really awesome worship night last week and, and stuff uh, sang through the whole project. So I'm going to drop that in there too. There's a, um, a page from our church's website that shares about it and then gives kind of the links to um, Apple Music, Spotify, things like that. So All right. there you go. Yep. Called To The Lamb. Yes. I have not listened yet. I, I, I saw that y'all had the night of worship. I saw that it was coming mm -hmm. out because Sydney was Instagramming about it. So that's right. And there's one song in there because these are ones that we've been singing. Um, some of them are very new. A couple of them are, are have been around for a little while. There's one in there that I remember we sang at the uh, 2021 SBC annual meeting, oh. an original song. So you might okay. recognize it. All yeah. right. Well, check that out. All right. Very cool. All right. My resource of the week is a new book. 
from Shane Pruitt and Scott Pace. I know Scott Pace is a good friend of yours over at Southeastern. That's right. He's the, uh, the dean of the college at Southeastern. Yes. So, and then Shane Pruitt, obviously many of you know from his time at NAM. Uh, he is the uh, kind of the national youth evangelism, student evangelism guy at NAM, And uh, they have a new book out called Calling Out the Called. And this thing is hot right now. I've seen it everywhere. I don't know if you've seen this, yeah. but but I'm seeing it everywhere. Well, yes. There's a, there's a story in, uh, well, you see it because, you know, it's right. southeast. It's everywhere where I am. It, yes. Yeah. So, but I'm seeing it too. So, calling out the call from Shane Pruitt and Scott Pace. And it's basically saying, look, we need people in ministry. We've got to call them. We've got to teach them. We've got to raise them up. We've got to call them to a life. You know, obviously God does the calling, but but they need to be kind of spurred in that direction. People that are, that God is calling, they need that confirmation from us. Uh, who those who are ministry leaders are pouring into them. So really yeah. cool book now out from Shane Pruitt and Scott Pace. Very cool. That's going to do it for the show this week. Again, I'll be in North Carolina this coming week. Looking forward to seeing you and all of my friends in North Carolina. A lot of people, it's crazy how many people, you start going to these conventions two, three, four years in a row, and you start seeing people and meeting people and you build these relationships. It's really awesome. Right. So, And That's I'm right. not even from the state. I mean, and I've got these relationships. So hear me say, this is your reason that you need to be involved in your state convention because it's great. relationships matter. It's great. So, great opportunity. Yes, absolutely. So, and, you know, be in the room. Decisions are made by those who show up. That's right. That's going to do it for us this week. Amy, I will see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>